As we come to look at the question in Romans 8, Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Almighty God, we would ask this morning from the bottom of our hearts that the seed of your word that is about to be sown would take deep root in our hearts and that it would bear fruit in our heads and in our hearts and in our lives. Speak to us this morning and delight us with the incredible love of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. The word love is overused and underwhelming. I don't know about you, but I use the word love all the time. I love my parents. I love my kids. I love my job. I love my car. I don't really love my car, but you know what I mean? We just use it for everything. We use it all the time. You know, I love your hair. I love your shoes. The word love is really, really overused. And we just use it without giving it any thought. It's just a word in our vocabulary that we use over and over again without very much meaning. And the word love is also often very, very underwhelming. The word love, now, it doesn't carry very much weight. The word love isn't very important. It's very rarely that we hear the word love and think of it as being significant and meaningful. I do remember whenever I was 14, and I had my very first girlfriend. And uh, we were walking on a, a road called Bexley Road. And we were dandering down, and it was a cold, crisp evening, a little bit like an evening in November. And for the first time, I heard the words coming, not from my parents, but some other person, another human being. And she said to me, Marty, I love you. And I said, thank you. <laughs> true story but when she said that I mean it was weary it was powerful it was like really heavy and I just couldn't lie so I said thanks anyway thankfully I've told my wife that I love her and I do love her so at least that is good but I mean the word love most of the time it's not weary it's not significant it's kind of frivolous and and then whenever we hear this kind of idea like Jesus loves you I mean, again, it becomes this kind of underwhelming, not very significant thing for us because let's face it, we've heard this all the time, haven't we? Whenever we were kids, even if you weren't brought up in church, you'll have heard the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. From the moment you're a little kid, you've been told Jesus loves you. And even as an older person, maybe you sing this, Jesus loves me, this I know, though my hair is white as snow, though my sight is growing dim, still he bids me trust in him. Whether you're young, a little child, whether you're an older person, much more mature than me, you know without doubt, and you've heard it over and over and over again, that Jesus loves you. And now it's kind of underwhelming. Now it's not really that significant. If you've been married and, and you tell your spouse that you love them every day, I mean, now they're just so used to hearing it, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. It just kind of washes off their back. It's not that significant anymore. And I think that's the same for us. When you read these words, Jesus loves you, you kind of think, yeah, yeah, mm, cool, that's nice. Maybe you could sing the song this way, Jesus loves me, this I know. I'm not that excited by it, though. My guess is for many of us, that is how we are this morning. 
But what I want to say to you this morning is that we should be and could be and should be really, really excited and overwhelmed and amazed by the love of Jesus. And this morning I'm going to suggest three reasons why we should be incredibly amazed at Jesus' love for us. The first reason is because Jesus' love is significant. The second is because it's constant, and the third is because it's deep. So let's think about the significance of Jesus' love. If I was to ask you, um, describe love to me, I wonder what you'd say. I wonder what you'd say. Um, some of you might say, if you're a kid, you might say, it sounds disgusting. <laughs> or some of you might say, it's, it's this deep feeling. It's this feeling in your heart. It's like butterflies in your stomach, and you describe a feeling. But to actually describe love is really, really tricky. It's really, really difficult. And I think most of us, when we think about love, we kind of land on the warm, fuzzy feelings. Love is a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's this warm feeling you have for someone. It's, it's a feeling that you, you have. It's this emotion that you have. And that means very often that whenever we think of Jesus loving us, we think of Jesus having these kind of warm, fuzzy feelings for us. And that's as far as it goes. We think Jesus loves me. That's very nice, but it's not very helpful. Jesus loves me. Well, that's lovely, but it doesn't help me in the nitty-gritty reality of life. When we think of Jesus loving us, very often it's just this warm, fuzzy feeling. And I think that's why we find it a little bit underwhelming. But what the Bible says is that the love that Jesus has for us is not a fuzzy feeling, okay? So get that idea out of your head. The love that Jesus has for us isn't just this kind of warm, gooey feeling of romance. Jesus is not like our boyfriend thinking about us. That's not the love that Jesus has for us. No, the Bible says that the love that Jesus has for us is significant and helpful and amazing. And in our English Bibles, we just have one word for love. Okay, but in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, there were seven different words that we all translate as love. So here's the different words. I'll go through them quickly. There was eros, which was a sexual love. There was philia, which was a friendly love, kind of like brotherly love. There was storge, which was family love, love between family members. There was ludus, which was a playful love, kind of think flirting. You know, the early days of going out with someone, that type of love. Then you got pragma, which was this determined love that you were going to love someone well. It comes from pragmatic. Pragmatic, the word comes from. You know, you're going to do something to love someone. And then you've got this last one, which was self-love. You love yourself. You look after yourself. Now, all of these are much more significant than fuzzy feelings. But in the Greek language, the most significant, the most radical, the most amazing, the most incredible word for love was the word agape. And agape described a selfless love. Imagine a love that is completely selfless. A love that says, I'm going to love someone even if I get nothing out of it. That was agape love. This agape love was also committed, or it was active, it was doing something. It wasn't just kind of sitting there going, I love this person and this feeling. Agape love said, I am going to do things to show my love. I am going to do things to let this person know I love them. I am going to do things that demonstrate my love. And then this love was committed. This was a love that was going to commit to loving this person no matter what happened. 
This is like someone who's going to love their husband even after their husband commits adultery. It's a crazy type of love. It's, a, it's an amazing type of love. It's a committed type of love. This agape love is selfless and it's active and it's committed. It is the type of love that is very, 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 very rare to see today. And yet in Romans chapter 8, Paul says that this, this love is the love that Jesus has for you, his people. If you have a look with me at verse 35, Paul asks a question and he says, who or what, in the Greek it can be translated either way, who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? And that word love, it's agape. Paul says, if you're a Christian, if you've come to trust in Jesus, then who or what can ever separate you from his selfless, active, committed love? What can separate you from it, says Paul? Nothing. Nothing can. This morning you're here and you don't have very much love for Jesus in your heart. You know what? He still loves you with this kind of love. This morning you're here and you feel like you're far from God and, and you're not really that interested in following him just now. Do you know what? Jesus loves you with this kind of love. This is an incredible love that Paul says nothing can separate you from if you belong to him. Jesus loves you with this type of love. It's the type of love that, that should be in marriage. If any of you are getting married and you've been married, you've stood at the front and you've made your vows, haven't you? I will love you for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. In other words, no matter what happens in life, I'm going to love you. And this is the type of love that Jesus loves you with. It's not transactional, the love Jesus has for you. He doesn't say, you love me and I'll love you. He says, even when you don't love me, I'll love you. It's not based on what you do for him. He doesn't say, do this and I'll love you. He says, I'm going to love you no matter what you do. Jesus has this incredible, amazing love for you. And what does it look like in practice? Well, that's why we read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You see, that's a description of love. Love is patient, love is kind, but you know the word that's used there? It's agape. Here's what agape love looks like. Here's what the love that Jesus has looks like. Look at this next slide. Jesus is patient. Jesus is so patient with you. He, he's alive now and he will always be patient with you. There may be things that he's wanting you to do and you're putting them off. Do you know what? He'll just be patient with you. There may be things that you're doing that are just so wrong and he'll just be patient with you and help you to work those out. He is going to show you radical patience. Jesus is kind to you. He, he shows you kindness. And you see it in the things he provides and the things that he does and the way he protects. Jesus will show you a non-conditional kindness as part of loving you. He's not self-seeking. Jesus loves you because he wants the best for you. Jesus is one who wants good for you. He wants to prosper you. He wants to give you a future and a hope. He wants best in life for you. He wants you to have life to the full. Jesus is not irritable. Now, I'm going to make a confession. I love my kids very, very much. 
But there are times when I turn to them and I say, can you please leave me alone for five minutes? Just go away. And I know I shouldn't be saying that. I'm not meant to be a model dad, you know, as a minister. But there are times I say, will you just go away for five minutes and leave me alone? I'm sure none of you can relate. But not Jesus. We come to him with our problems or even our small ones and we come to him again and again and again. And you know what he never says? Go away. He says, I'm here and I want to listen. I'm here. Tell me more. I'm here. I'm, I'm willing to help. He's never read our bill. He keeps no record of our wrongs. He forgave all of our sin and he's forgotten it. You might struggle to forgive yourself for some things in your life, but Jesus, he has no record of those things anymore. They've been ripped up, burned, taken away, whatever way you want to put it. He doesn't bring up your past mistakes. He doesn't do that. He loves you in that way. He doesn't delight in evil, which means that he does challenge you whenever you are going wrong. He does tell you whenever you're on a wrong path, he, he convicts you of sin through the power of the Spirit. He doesn't delight in evil. He doesn't want you to go off in the wrong way. He wants you to follow a good way, a right way. And he rejoices in the truth. He loves to tell you the truth through his word, even if that's hard. This is the love that Jesus has for you, and this is the love that Jesus shows you, and this is the love that you can enjoy, and it's just a fraction of it. Jesus' love is not a fuzzy feeling. It's significant. It's agape. It's selfless. It's committed. It's active. It's incredible. And Jesus' love is also constant for you. Love today, it's very changeable, isn't it? I mean, that girl, you know, walking along Bexley Road, and she told me that she loved me. I mean, she doesn't today. I'm not sure she did after I said thank you, but, you know, you get the picture. Love is changeable. Love comes and love goes. It's a feeling. And even love that, that is more than a feeling, it can often come and go. Husbands and wives commit to loving each other, but in reality, very often, they don't do it very well, if at all. They promise to love in sickness and in health and to death do them part, but very often it doesn't work like that. Love is so not constant anymore, so transactional, so conditional. But Jesus says that, that his love, this agape love, it is a constant. It's constant. Paul says, what can separate you from it? Nothing. You're stuck with it. If you are a Christian, you are stuck with Jesus' love in the most wonderful of ways. Now, there's a very strange mystery that happens when you become a Christian, and I don't have time to explain it, but it's called union with Christ. And whenever you become a Christian, it's like you're united to Christ in this inseparable way. It's like the husband and the wife, but without divorce or separation. You become united to Christ. You become into this relationship with Jesus where he will never let you go, where he's always going to walk with you no matter what, where he really will stick with you through thick and thin. And so Paul says that because of this, there's nothing can actually separate you from his love. His love is constant no matter what you do, no matter what you go through. Just look at verses 38 and 39. Look what Paul says. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to what? Will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you die, you'll not be separated from the love of Christ. 
you'll just be with him and experiencing it in a better way. In life, no matter what happens, no matter how badly it goes, no matter how you feel, nothing can separate you from his love in your life. Nothing from the spiritual world, angels or demons, nothing in the spiritual world around us that we don't see can separate us from the love of Christ. The devil can't pull you away from it. His demons can't pull you away from it. Nothing in the spiritual world can pull you away from Christ's love or separate you. Nothing in the present or the future, nothing that you're going through now, nothing that will happen in the future can take you away from the love of Christ. Your physical location can't separate you from it, neither height nor depth. doesn't matter if you go out to Qatar, one of the Muslim countries and where they don't worship Jesus there, even living there couldn't separate you from the love of Christ. And then just to make sure that you get this, Paul just kind of throws in a little caveat at the end. Nothing else in all creation can separate you from the love of Jesus. Jesus loves you. If you belong to him, he loves you with this agape love. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing, that can separate you from this. Jesus is committed to loving you. He's going to keep loving you even if you don't love him very well. He's going to show you this unconditional, selfless, amazing love. Sometimes kids' books put things in ways that are just so special. There's a little Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And even if you're an adult, it is actually worth a read. It's brilliant. And what it says about God's love is it says this, it says this, and this just encapsulates the constantness of Jesus' love. It says, you see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreakable, always and forever love. Jesus' love for you is constant. It's significant, it's constant, and the last thing, Jesus' love for you is deep. Um, I don't know if you've noticed over the past number of years, but sea swimming has become quite a big thing. I would like to ask for hands. Any sea swimmers in here? Any, uh, oh yeah, Craig's a sea swimmer. Great. Any other sea swimmers? Okay, so sea swimmers, my mother-in-law is a sea swimmer every single day of life. She goes sea swimming in her bathing suit with her float and just her gloves on, and she's crazy. I don't know, mad. She's brilliant. But sea swimming is a really big thing. Now, if you're in Northern Ireland, I reckon there's, well, if you swim in the off Ireland, there's three kind of places you might swim. So you might swim in Belfast Lock. You know, you might go in off, off Ballyhome Bay or, or around at Hollywood, and you might swim in Belfast Lock. Now, did you know that there are parts of Belfast Lock that are 60 meters deep? Quite deep, isn't it? Pretty impressive. Now, you might also swim off the Irish Sea. You might go into the Irish Sea, mightn't you, and swim there as well, off the other side. You might swim in the Irish Sea. And if you swim in the Irish Sea, up near Whitehead or somewhere like that, did you know that the Irish Sea goes to 315 meters deep? That's very deep, isn't it? And then you might head over to Donegal, and you might be crazy enough to go sea swimming in the Atlantic. And you might go in there, and do you know how deep the Atlantic Ocean goes? It goes to 8,000 meters deep. Belfast Lock, 60 meters. The Irish Sea, 300 meters. The Atlantic Ocean, 800 meters. 
And how far do we go in? Two at most. <laughs> we don't like our feet not to be able to touch the bottom. There is a depth in each of these oceans. And yet we only get in two meters deep. And this is the same with the love of Christ. This is exactly the same with the love of Christ. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And at the end, he tells them what he's praying for them. And he says this, And I pray that you, with all the Lord's holy people, will grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. These Christians in Ephesus, they had experienced something of the love of Jesus. They knew something of the love of Jesus, but Paul's prayer was that they would go deep into it, that they would experience it in an overwhelming, incredible way that wasn't just head knowledge, but was experienced in their hearts and in their lives. Friends, the love that Jesus has for us, it is an ocean. It's an ocean, an ocean to explore, an ocean to enjoy, an ocean to bathe in, an ocean to bask in, an ocean to be amazed by. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you are finding Jesus' love a little bit boring, to go beyond the two meters, to get into the deep, and to experience the incredible, amazing love that he has. Paul prays for the Thessalonians this prayer. He says, may God direct your hearts into the love of God. May God direct you deep into Jesus' love. May God cause you to jump right in and to experience it. How can you do that? Let me suggest two ways. The first is to pray and ask God just to make you discontent. Ask him to make you discontent with the experience of Jesus' love that you have. If you're bored by Jesus' love, pray and tell him. And tell him that you want to know it more and experience it more and understand it more. Ask the Lord to give you a discontentment. To give you a desire to know Jesus' love more. And the second thing is to, to gaze into the love of God in Christ. Whenever you're in love with someone especially in the early days, you, you kind of gaze at them, don't you? You just gaze at them. You gaze at them and, and you look at them and as you gaze at them, your heart is warmed and you're just filled with a deeper love. I want to encourage you to gaze again at the love of Jesus. And it's not very often I'll recommend a book for kind of sermon application because that can feel a little overwhelming, but this morning I'm actually recommending a book in order to gaze again at the love of Jesus. And it's this little book called Gentle and Lowly. It's written by Dean Ortland, And the subtitle is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Safe Sufferers. Um, this is the first and only book that has ever brought me to tears of joy. I've never cried at a book before. <laughs> and this one I cried at. As this man unpacks the love of Jesus, you will be overwhelmed and awed and delighted. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you're a reader, even if you're not, get it. The chapters are very short, five, six pages, and they just help you to see afresh the love of Christ.
This morning, maybe you're here the one you're not a Christian. This morning, maybe you're here and you've heard of Jesus' love, and even if I've spoken this morning, you think, this sounds pretty good, Marty, but, but I don't have it. That's because there's a difference between knowing something and experiencing it. Um, one of the, uh, I'm an old minister says this, he says, there is a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having the sense of its sweetness. There's a difference between knowing that honey is sweet and tasting it, and the difference in tasting it is incredible. And this morning, if you're not a Christian, this morning, if you've not been united to Christ, this morning, if you don't know his love, if you've not experienced but you'd like it, if you'd like to experience this amazing, committed, patient, incredible act of love, you can. And you do it simply by turning to Christ and trusting him for forgiveness and telling him that you want him in your life. Let me finish by reading to you a poem, a poem which became a hymn, a poem which is familiar, but a poem I'd like you to hear again this morning with fresh ears. Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, you may be weak, but he is strong. Jesus loves you, he who died, heaven's gate to open wide. He has washed away your sin and welcomes you, little child, come in. Jesus loves you, loves you still, though you're very weak and ill. From his shining throne on high comes to watch you where you lie. Jesus loves you, still today, walking with you on your way, wanting as a friend to give light and love to all who live. Jesus loves you. He will stay close beside you all the way. He has bled and died for thee will you henceforth live for he? Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you. The Bible tells me so. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you know that we are so often underwhelmed by your love. But I pray that you would overwhelm us by it. I pray that if we've just been paddling on the shore, that you would help us to run into the deep ocean of your love and experience its beauty and its glory and its mystery and its awesomeness. And Father, I pray for anyone here who feels loveless, maybe unworthy of love or maybe not good enough for love, that they would know, Lord Jesus, that you love them and that if they're your people, your love for them will never leave them nor forsake them. Oh, Lord, thank you for your love. Help us to go deeper into it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.